Welcome, adventurers! This is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your other co-host, Demi. And we are coming to you from the aftermath of the 2016 North American Final Fantasy Fan Fest in Las Vegas. And joining us today is a very special guest. He is a contributor for Gamer Escape. He is the co-host of Aetherite Radio. He is, I would describe him as the Lord of the Lore Forum. <laughs> <laughs> and he is absolutely someone to whom the FF14 community owes a whole lot. Please help us welcome Anonymous. Hello, hello. Yay. Thank you very much. You flatter me far too much. Welcome to MuseCast. We are glad to have you here. Oh, so first of all, how has your fan fest been overall? Saturday was touch and go. The line was the entire day. Um, but Sunday made up for it. We, we got everything done. The concerts were great. Everything was exactly as I hoped it would be aside from the line. Awesome, awesome. And you did get a lore book. That's that's good, right? I did. I did. It was <laughs> yeah. It was pretty close. Um, I'm not sure what time they cut off the line, but I got into line at exactly noon and got out at exactly six. And uh, when I left, I heard that they had maybe 40 left, and they sold out from the red tickets the next morning. So it was pretty close. That is some craziness. There was a lot of just merchandise mayhem this entire yeah. fan <laughs> Absolutely. How would you say uh, you would describe your first impressions in a few sentences? It's impossible to summarize it all, I know. Of this uh, set up in the podcast? And... Of, uh, of the lore book. Oh, of the lore book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm skipping around. Um, I would say that it's it's everything that everyone expected it to be. If Even if you had a separate idea of what it would be from someone else, it's still true. Um, it covers everything that's been in the game previously. So if you were wondering about basics about the cities, it's in there. If you were trying to catch up on things you missed, it's in there. If you knew basics, but there were specifics that were unclear, it's probably still in there. There's there's so much that I had said in the forums, like, man, I wish they had said that did turn out to be in the lore book. Yeah. Very cool. Actually, during the convention, Koji Fox mentioned that he wanted the book to be suitable for people who were lore nuts and people who maybe just wanted to get an introduction into the world of Final Fantasy. Do you think he did that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, even like me, I feel that I know quite a bit about what's going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, you could and... say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and going through it, I saw a lot of things that I hadn't seen since 1.0. And it was like, I'm, I'm glad this is back. This is stuff that we've missed. This is stuff that had been skipped over. And that's stuff that people are going to want to know. But there was still stuff I was learning as I was going through. So it was, I'm impressed. Awesome, awesome. And speaking of 1.0, you have been a lore commentator for quite a long time. Over, over five years, like since 1.0, right? Yep. And it's so fascinating to learn that you were one of the first people to post on the official Square Enix lore forums back when the people interested in lore were pretty few. And Very few. you had a much closer interaction with the dev team. And it was because of questions like that, um, asking about the lore, that the community started to grow. And could you tell us a little bit about what things were like during that time? Um, I don't want to take too too much credit uh, for the for the beginning because there was there was about a, a gap of a year or so. Um, the original version dropped, 1.0 came out, 
and there was no forum at all. It didn't come out until months later. And even after it did come out, the first few months of it was like a gaggle of angry gamers arguing over what would be the thing that really saved the game. And that's me included. I'm pretty sure a lot of my first posts were along the lines of, that's ridiculous. If I want to play Eleven, I know where it is. Because a lot of the threads were, there should be EXP loss. They should restrict teleports to mages only. Um, so it was more mechanics-based of the game rather there than was, story. There was not much focus on the lore at all until... Um, a little later on after the localization forum opened because at first I tried getting a couple discussions together for cutscenes I would call them like campfires and they never took off but when Koji started handing out trivia in exchange for finding text bugs everybody wanted to camp the lore forum oh boy <laughs> or the sorry the localization forum not the lore forum um, and once everybody started crashing loke we tried the opening cutscene discussion again and it was called CG Midlander <laughs> and that thread would not die. Uh, we talked about the opening cutscene. We talked about all four story arcs. We talked about everything in this one thread. And that's where all of the big lore discussions started. And eventually they caved and shoved us out of Loke and gave us our own forum. <laughs> that's that's wow. the origin of how everything came together. So you were mentioning four story arcs? The In, in 1.0, there were four... Uh, original main scenario arcs. You had the mm -hmm. Limsa Lamensa introduction, the Wolda introduction, the Gridania introduction, and then the Path of the Twelve. And none of them were finished. Um, it looked like they might come back to the city-states later, mm -hmm. but they left it very open and unanswered. And um, there were characters that it took a little bit to figure out were other characters ten years apart. And then we had to figure out where the echoes were and who these people were and what their interactions were. And we figured out a lot for the stories having no ending, but we never quite got where we wanted to be until Koji came in and dumped two straight pages of, of information on it. And the lore forum was born not too, too long after. Sounds like a lot of work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just starting from the beginning when no one really understands much of anything. It was it was an embarrassingly poor understanding <laughs> at the time. Like if you go back to some of the first threads I've started, it's like, why did the Worm King Bahamut explode into primals? Is he their king? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty bad. Oh man, it's come a long way. I think. How do you think that the lore community? Obviously, it's grown by leaps and bounds. But how else has it changed since those days? Since the lore forum got together in the lore forum, the legitimate lore forum, mm -hmm. there has been very little change in that part of the community. It's it's still the same type of people. It's sometimes the same exact people. And not much has changed on that front. But what has changed is there's a separate community now that's been grafted onto that, where instead of minute details and long written summaries and community theory craft, there's now this big market for um, generalized big picture review and videos and mm -hmm. individual theorizing and people like Ethis have been filling that niche very very well but there's almost no overlap between those communities yet um, the people who like the TLDR get me through where I skipped all my cutscenes and the people <laughs> that like I know everything and I need to know what we don't know don't interact much uh, yet they're, they're, there's hope I think there is. I think there is. And of course, from our perspective, we see a huge amount of 
lore commentary and also commentary centering more around characters that's centralized and unfortunately kind of siloed to role players. So we're also trying to bridge that gap, you know, because we think of things not just as the facts we need to know to build our worlds and build our characters, but emotions and motivations. So in your work, would you say that you would like to be more of an objective lore historian just recounting what is already in the game as facts or as a subjective interpreter of lore trying to editorialize and give opinions? I tend to refer to myself as an archivist. It's part of a longer joke that I make a better archivist than profit. Um, so I would say the former. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I like to figure out the context of everything that's known because you can know what's in the game and still not understand quite what it means. There's a lot of important context. And every now and then though, I do find a few hints that lead me in a weird direction and I get really excited about it and I wanna be like, what if this is the case? Um, but I have a really bad record on that front. Like I'm not very accurate at all. Very <laughs> few Nostradamus moments. Yeah. Well, there you, have been some. There have been some that you were right few. on. Yeah. There have been a few, but not <laughs> not as many as we're on. Yeah. Do you think it's also important, maybe not for you personally, but for us in general to start to assign meaning th to things? Almost like we take the story to another level. And uh, I was talking to, to Sarah from Phoenix on Radio, who does a lot of their lore. And then we had this discussion about death of the author. Like, is it also important for us to be subjective and editorialize? I think the game is a lot more meaningful if you do. The game leaves so much open for you to interpret that if you don't find your own interpretation of even just your own character, then you're missing a huge part of the game. Yeah. So of course that's important. I absolutely agree. So in your long, long history as, as a lore historian and archivist, has there ever been a theory or commentary that the fan base reacted strongly to maybe disagreed with or took offense to? Offense? I hope not. <laughs> if that has been the case, let me know. I will offer you an apology, a very specific one. But um, I tend to find the most resistance when I get a little excited and come in with what if this is the case on the more subjective theories. And that hadn't happened for a while until 3.4. So oh, really? A, this yep. is a good opportunity to ask that question, sadly. Um, <laughs> Have you both played through three? Yeah, yeah. We okay. have. It was the first thing I did. We actually wanted to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there, I know that if we get into actually talking about lore, we'll go on forever. But I do want to hear about what this theory was and how people reacted. All right, so when you go to Little All Amigo the first time and you pick up that weathered shepherd's outfit, everyone's talking about rumors about the griffin. And none of them apply to really our usual suspects. A lot of people think it's Ilbert or someone we don't know or someone that we've forgotten. That seems to be the most likely scenario. Um, but all of the imagery in all four languages used to refer to the Griffin has references to fire. It's he has such like he's a burning heart, fiery rhetoric, kindling the naive. It's over and over just hammers this mm. fire thing. Mm -hmm. And as I was mulling that over, I got to the NPC that tells you the rumors. And there are three rumors that were big on his mind. That the griffin wore a mask because he had no face but for the scars. That he was marked for death by Garlemald. And that if his location was known, it would draw a legion. And 
my mind immediately jumped to like the picture of Gaius's helmet against the <laughs> oh, in god. The and I was like, what if he's not dead? <laughs> oh, he could be manipulating Ilbert and like taking him in as another lost kid. And then that would bridge Ilbert to Nero out there with the Omega weapon. And that would make Nero act like Crystal Tower never happened. And he's back looking for power again. And I, I got really excited and I went to the forums and I was like, hey, what if it's Gaius? And the whole thread derailed. It was like five pages of, it can't be Gaius. And I found myself defending this theory that I don't even believe in, just the plausibility of it. And while it was really, really fun, the lore book's out, and I just want to get back to being an archivist. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> uh, interesting. Well, it, it's still fun to think about what's going to happen. What yeah. everything could be. The lore book seems to confirm that Gaius is dead. I mean, it seems to know best. The lore yeah. book seems to know best. It could, it's, it's still from an in-world perspective. It mm -hmm. could still be wrong, but it says in no uncertain terms, he died a soldier's death. So unless they undo that, then I'm willing to accept that he's gone. Cool. Okay, so now for something that's pretty much completely unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> so you do, you are a co-host on Ethrite Radio, we said. And we we saw that you have interviewed Koji Fox a whole lot about it. A couple yeah, times. Yeah, a couple at the, times. At the risk of sounding like fangirls here, <laughs> how did you get to know him, and, and what's he like for that matter? Well, the first part is a lot easier. Um, it was all Gamerscape. Um, when a lot of the fan sites that were built around 1.0 started collapsing and bailing on the game, GE doubled down in a big way. Um, they put a lot of personal sacrifice into it, and I fell in with them after that. And I thought it would be really fun during the fall of 1.0 to archive it, the whole thing, but then write a summary that was all of the parts we knew were relevant to A Realm Reborn, which is the whole Seventh Umbral Era scenario. And they just happened to bring that up at a press meeting with Square Enix, or Enix. I'm not sure which it is. Squeenix. Squeenix. <laughs> um, they brought it up, Gahu and Fusion X brought it up with them and they were like well look we're really distracted building 1.0 we can only go forward we can't spend much time on this but if you want you can send us the summary and we'll fact check it and send it back to you and say this is truth this is what really happened and koji was the bridge between me and odasan mm -hmm. and helped flesh that out big time koji read i mean it was a really long post and koji had to have read it as many times as i had probably is that the one um that's in the lore train uh, Rise and Fall of the White Raven yeah, is what it yeah, turned yeah. out to be. It was yeah. like a six-month project that was not expected to be that big. And after that, he just never fell out of touch. I'm so grateful that he has kept in touch with that in spite of everything that's... I mean, there's so much more he could be doing, and that he finds time for us is, is really, really special. Yeah, yeah. But what is he like? Yes. Yeah. What is that's, he like? <laughs> that's a much... Uh, if you've seen him on a screen, you've seen what he's like alone in a room. There's only one Koji Fox when you're talking about lore with him. Yeah. It doesn't matter if there's an audience or not. You're still going to be laughing. You're still going to be making horrible jokes. You're still going to be... It's it's exactly the same guy. Yeah. My, That's great. My big impression from seeing him at the lore panel is that he's insanely, insanely proud of that book. He is. He's insanely yeah. proud of everything lore. Like, even to pop in and, and start telling people things every time he gets a chance, just for giving in 
text bugs. Like he's he's very proud of the fact that people want to get involved with his Notison's work. It's not just something to be seen like wallpaper. It's something people want to explore. And he seems to take a lot of pride in that. That is awesome. Yeah, we're we're really lucky to have him and that he's he's willing to interact with us, you know, on interviews and, and at FanFest. So getting into a little more about you and your opinions. Of course, as role players, we often do get pretty attached to characters. And we want to know, even though I have a feeling I know what the answer is. I'm sure <laughs> um, you might. Who's your favorite NPC character? Like, who do you just like the best? Um, it's actually Stallman. That's what I thought yeah, you were going to say. That's what I, th- I, um, I think I've, I, I either read something on the lore forum where you said that. And then, and then Koji said the same thing in the lore. This is yeah. this is one of my favorite like early lore deals. Um, I attached to Solomon because he was one of the most fleshed out characters of 1.0. He had a betrayal. He wanted to make amends for it, but he couldn't. No one would give him the opportunity. He stalled out and became a drunk. And you could tell that he was just very attached to the way Limza used to be. It wasn't you know, political. It wasn't taking itself as a nation among nations. It was pirates and it was power. And his actions really screwed up everything, but he still was not the angry drunk that everyone made him out to be. He took time to help you. He took time to talk to you. He wasn't the same person. So when he vanished, I was really sad. He never got that redemption. He never got out of that funk. And that bothered me a lot. And it bothered Koji a lot. And between the two of us, we were able to bring it up enough times that they brought him back and just yeah. gave him a Yay. little bit of closure in the machinist scenario. Yeah, I noticed that. And actually, Odasan is very attached in a very similar manner to Demelio, a young Elizin from the Uldah story arc. And yeah. I feel mm-hmm. almost honor bound to start rabble rousing in, in that please. direction. Yeah, please, please do. <laughs> I don't remember. That doesn't ring a bell. Demelio? Yeah. He was, was he in 1.0 as well? Yeah. He was. He, that explains He never made know. it back. Oh. He was in the opening scenario and the um, alchemist scenario. He was the son of the guild master, I want to say. Um, he kept wandering around and like falling asleep in public. And he went when he went down, he would be asleep for a very long time. And no one could really wake him up. And in the work on a medicine for him to wake him up and keep him up, the father had actually developed what would become the sleeping potion that was used on Nanamo. Oh. And he snuck that little fact into 3.0, hoping everybody would be like, Demelio, but no one was. (laughs) Well, now we know. That is really cool. Oh, speaking of Nanamo, because I know it's a very important point in the story for you. Did you have a moment in the main scenario, or really any kind of story, that had like a very large emotional impact on you. Yeah, like like since 1.0, what was a moment that really like like punched you in the feels? Let's say it has to be the calamity, like yeah. the night of the calamity. Um, if you played through 1.0, there was a parallel between what was happening to the game and what was happening to Eorzea. There mm-hmm. was this this big moment of strife, and everybody was worried about the disaster to come, and it was the end of the world, the end of the game. But this new group of people came in and said, no, there's hope. You have to hope, you have to build, you have to keep going. So while the dev team was working on building 2.0 and fixing the game, the players were playing that game and trying to do the same thing for Eorzea. And when it came down to the Night of the Calamity, it just it hit really, really hard when you saw that cutscene. 
and it was like the servers are going dark the disaster has happened but look at what's going to come from this and I'm, I'm like Yoshida. When I think about it from that angle, I start, like, tearing up a little bit. I'm like... It's a, it's a great way that they went from 1.0 to 2.0 because it did impact everybody who was playing, I think. I've never seen anything like that happen before or since. Like, there were live events. There were GMs playing the characters. Like, um, GM Orianger would come to town and spout prophecies and cast buffs wow. on people. And GM Nail would come in and interview people about this prophet and try to get you to turn him over. And wow. It was, I wish it was that so I could have been so they were So they were role-playing. They were. <laughs> they, would even, they would even have the... Um, the newspaper reporters come in after all of this had happened and you would role play with the newspaper reporters and give them an interview about what you had seen and they would drop weird little hints on you about what was to come. Wow, wow. Well, that is really cool. And not being a 1.0 player myself, still, when I first bought Aroma Reborn and I watched that cutscene, I was honestly kind of blown away because it's just an amazing cinematic work. And I had this feeling of like, wow, holy crap, I'm going to love this game. <laughs> Just from watching that scene. I felt bad for not having loved Louisa so much before that. Yeah. Because it didn't it didn't seem like he was that concerned or selfless ahead of time. It seemed like he might just be like the regular NPC that was, oh, I'm your bridge through this content. I'm here to to make sure that you kill the primals. You actually do want to kill the primals, and we're starting with Ifrit. That's how he kind of came into the story. But for most players, because he was the entrance to the primals, and it required a bunch of tokens to get in, it was more or less Louisa was the guy who reminded you, you didn't farm your tokens, did you? <laughs> oh, well, no. I can't give you your entry item. Yeah, so I, I didn't appreciate him in his time. But <laughs> when I when I saw like the fade to white and the smile on his face, I was like, oh, oh man. beautiful man. Interesting to see how his perception has changed. Awesome. So of all the lore subjects that you cover and write about, what's one in particular that gets you the most excited? Is it monsters? Is it magic? Is it, what is it? It's any mystery. I wish I could say it was one thing, but it's it's whatever the thing is right now that seems like if you put enough elbow grease into it, the truth is there. I don't... Mm, get too invested in the mysteries that are like, please look forward to it. It's coming in a later patch. But things that look like you could suss them out if you really tried. Things like the 1.0 arcs, the bestiary, the true Asian agenda. All of that was the stuff I got really invested in. But once I got close to the truth, I started looking for more puzzles instead. So it's always going to be whatever's the puzzle. Interesting. And these are puzzles which may actually never get solved unless you go about and solve them. Because if, when it's something that's teased, you know you're gonna get it eventually. And it's like, well, you could speculate or not, but we'll learn the truth eventually. I suspect that a good number of the ones I was working on will be in the lore book when I tear into yeah. it. So I'm not <laughs> sure what I'm going to be working on from 3.5 on, but I will find something. I know. Yeah, I'm sure there will be something. There are always going to be questions that, that sort of go unanswered, but if we look hard enough, we can find yeah, it. I mean the lore book is just so big. I feel like I'm gonna have to read it about five times, which I'm cool with. <laughs> There's so much in it, though. Yeah, yeah, like every every page. It feels weird. It's so rich reference material. Yeah, like my yeah. reference material has been my really disorganized folder of spreadsheets for years <laughs> now. <laughs> so being able to like do a string search on all of my saved information and then just open the lore book is gonna be really weird to get used to. Wow. Yeah. 
So outside of your lore content and your gamer escape duties, what do you like to do in FF14? What's your other true end game? From 1.18, which was the introduction of the Darkhold, the old Darkhold, uh -huh. until 2.5, it was absolutely raiding. I, I really liked the challenge. I liked the prestige of having an early clear. I liked walking around in the new items. Um, but as I got more into lore projects and more into responsibility in my free company, that stopped having meaning like it used to. It felt like a really taxing emotionally investment. And I fell out of it entirely by 3.0's raid system. And I'd like to get back into it, but for now, my end game is pretty much, is my free company stable? Good, okay, I can go back to writing. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you like, you know, you log on and do dailies and things like that? And yeah, I keep, keep up, keep yeah. up yeah. I keep up with my tomes, I keep up with my tokens, I make sure not to default. Because that's your that's your gateway to being through the first new content immediately. Because it's it, there's never going to be a requirement for a new dungeon or a new raid that's not the last tome set. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. What's what's your free company like? The entire purpose of the free company is to just be a home that never dies. So it's it's meant to be there forever. If you leave the game and come back, it'll be exactly as it was in terms of we have all of the resources in the game that a free company can offer and we're up to date and you're welcome here. And everything else is secondary. Sometimes we raid, sometimes we don't. Sometimes there's drama, yeah. most of the time Very there's nice. not. That sounds a good amount, like <laughs> the free company that I run. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. So we'd like to get your thoughts, of course, on roleplay. Have you ever tried it? Or maybe if you haven't tried interactive kind of roleplay, do you ever think of your character, Anonymous, as their own person separate from you, the player? I've never actively roleplayed. Um, like with another person, that's what we're trying to do. That's the purpose of it. But I think that some people would challenge me on it if I said I wasn't a role player, that I'm on the cusp of being a role player. To use a theme that was in your first episode, I want to say. Oh, Most likely. I never <laughs> transcended thinking about it in the first person. Yeah. Moose has always <laughs> been Moose. Yeah. Um, me in the game, he's a little bit of me, he's a little bit of the game world, and... I know his backstory, I know how he sees things, but I never experienced the game through him as a vessel. I'm never the actor. Mm. I'm always the author. And I mean, I, I'm mistaken for a role player sometimes because I like firing sarcastic emotes at people. <laughs> I'll come across like a dead person and while I'm waiting for rays to come off, I'll be like, <laughs> EM rummages through target's pockets. <laughs> And, and I'll e immediately be mistaken for a role player. So I don't think it would be fair to say that I'm not one at all. I've just never actively role played with other people. I feel like it yeah. might take up more of, again, time and emotional investment that I've committed to other stuff. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, I think that does have a good amount of truth. There are a lot of people who, they, they don't think about it so much in the first person, but there's sort of a separation between the character and then the person playing it. Yeah, there's characterization going on in their heads. Yes. So I'm really happy that you've listened to MuseCast. Uh, what do you yeah. think? Um, and is there any maybe lore points that we brought up that you would like to discuss or challenge us on while we're here? Not yet. I have. I had not heard of the cast before I got your message like, let's meet at FanFest. So mm -hmm. um, 
as soon as I got that, I dove into episode six, which is the Luna Vox interview, yeah. to get an yes. idea of what an interview might be like. And I was like, yeah, I'd be comfortable here. So a little while after that, I went back to episode one and was going to start there because I have no idea about an insider perspective on role playing at all. And I thought I should probably have one. Um, and I was pretty stoked after that one to come to Vegas and blow through a few more in the downtime. But it turns out that my wireless hotspot mobile situation mm -hmm. is balls in my hotel room. <laughs> it's Sorry really, really bad. I got five uh, in an hour span. I got five minutes into the start of the Linza Laminsa one. And I heard that you're very committed to Merylwood. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually wearing my uh, my Robe themed T-shirt today. <laughs> so I'm I'm excited to finish at least that episode, and I'm pretty sure it's going to drag me into the Uldah one, which is going to drag yeah. me further. So I, I will let you know if I find anything that I find amiss, but I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I almost kind of feel bad nowadays because so much that is in the lore book has changed what we would have said on the show. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> I have to rewrite the whole Rise and Fall of the White Raven. Yeah. Oh, right. my God. It was it was accurate in 2013, but it, I don't want to use the R word. We don't use the R word. No, Things no, no. have changed. Yeah. yeah. Things have changed. Um, there has been slight stitching in the canon fabric that brings together um, the original ideas, what really happened, and then the different interpretations of Darnus that people had, and the one that they want people to have from now on. And they pulled it together in a masterful way, but things have changed. And I have a feeling that there are a few things like that. I was talking to someone last night about naming conventions that a lot of people are either going to have to deal with having wrong naming conventions. The Makote? Yeah? Yeah. yeah oh, no, was, I haven't gotten to that section. There was something that 99. came up in the lore book that's either... Um, a mistake compared to what people know or is a clarification of something that people didn't have before so there might be some name changes sold in the near future <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't read it myself i've heard about it is that the real purpose of the lore book <laughs> to get name changes oh my god yeah i i honestly have the feeling in many ways that it's turning my world upside down like stuff that i've read about Moab and stuff that i've read about other characters is like whoa and it's not bad to have this information, but it's like, like I have to change my frame of mind on things. It's it's like things were added. It's an additional yeah. aspect in some cases, where how you write them and how you see them might change. Yeah, but it's it's obviously having an enormous enormous impact on everyone in the lore community. Um, and when we all get through it, I think it it's going to be really the encyclopedia for years and years to come because it really it contains everything from 1.0 to 3.0. So I don't see something like this coming out again until, I don't know, 6, 6.0? 6. <laughs> yeah, it should be a while. I hope it, I hope it sells enough to make them committed to the idea, though. I mean, if, if they're able to keep putting little notes aside and saying, this should be in the next one, this argument from the forums should be addressed in the next one, I think it could it could be an equally good book. Yeah, and I saw so many people that were interested in it, not just people who I would consider lore nuts among my friends, but just, just people that are fascinated with the game. And I think because it's written in a way where it's fairly introductory, it's going to pull people more people into lore. I hope so. I never would have imagined that like five or six people trying to find typos for an excuse to ask about something we were curious about would blow up into wow. something like yeah. this. Yeah. Oh my God. It's come a long way. 
Any other shout outs and messages you want to give while you're on the show with us? Oh no, on the spot. Um, pretty much everyone that, I mean, how do I pick? Gamer Escape has given me all of the opportunities that I've had through here. If it wasn't for Eternal Garden, my free company, I'd have quit by now. And even everyone who found time to come up to me at FanFest and say, hi, I know who you are. Um, would you like to sign this? It's nice to talk to you. Like all of that meant so, so much. And I'm very, very happy that people want to be a part of this community because all I ever wanted was just to build a campfire and have people to talk to. Well, even though you don't usually post pictures of yourself, people were coming up to you? Yeah, I, I posted one this time. This is the <laughs> first time I've ever posted one because I, I met a couple people just through Twitter, like, hi, and we took pictures together, and then I figure anonymity is dead after that. The slightly less anonymous anonymous. Sli- <laughs> unknown nurse. <laughs> the time has come. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to be asked. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Anonymous, all our adventures, and we've got more in store for you from FanFest content, so stay tuned. Thank you and see you next time. Yep. Until then, see you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be interviewing Ethis Asher. Happy adventuring and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.